Hi, and thanks for joining Interesting People for 20, where in each episode we'll be speaking with people who have stories that are inspirational, motivational, and often truly amazing. This 20-minute quick podcast is meant to be something you can listen to at lunch, on a break, or out for a short walk. We'll hear about achievements, setbacks, and the challenges you might not normally see. Just about everyone has an interesting story if you ask. I'm Eric Cohen, your host. I'm an inventor, technologist, and sometimes cyclist, but most importantly, I love a good story, and I really hope you find my guests as interesting as I do. In today's episode, we're talking with Ed Warren, who I met a few years back at an MIT conference. At the time, I was intrigued by the company he was just starting, a full-service mobile car repair business that would fix your car while you were at work. What Ed didn't know when we met in 2019 was that Zippity was about to get hit by COVID, changing not only the way people worked, but where they worked. Let's hear how this Air Force nuclear weapons officer turned entrepreneur got started and managed a major pivot to keep Zippity going. Hi, Ed. I'm super excited to have you on our podcast. Excited to be here. Thanks for taking the time to have me. But before we talk about Zippity, I'd love to hear more about your background before you started the company. Yeah. So I, I mean, I have a unusual background, but I guess, you know, who, who in entrepreneurship doesn't have an unusual background. So I, I served in the military for five years after college. I was in the Air Force as a nuclear weapons officer. So I had a, uh, you know, they're, they called us missileers. I was the guy in the nuclear launch control center with command and control of nuclear weapons ready to launch intercontinental ballistic missiles uh, when, when and if the time ever came. So bizarre job, um, really intense, very professional job, and uh, really honed me as an operator, I would say, uh, before my time in, in, the, in the private sector. Is it like the movies where you're below ground and one person has one key and one person has another key? Yep. Yep, exactly. Most people think there's a red button. There's no red button. There's keys and switches. So the, as the commander, I had a, a key and you insert the key and you both have to turn four things simultaneously. So you get two launch votes from a single capsule. It's yeah, no, you're it's 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 the whole deal. You're in a you're in a capsule that's suspended by compressed air 80 feet under the ground, ready to uh um ready to make or try to defend against nuclear wow. war. So, so let's talk about how this might translate into starting Zippity. So like a lot of founders, companies are often born from personal experience. Was, was this the case with Zippity? Yeah. So, I mean, there's no, there's no simple segue from, um, from nuclear weapons officer to, um, to, you know, car, car maintenance startup here. But um, I, it was really, a, it was really a process for me of first, first getting out of the military, knowing that I was really excited to, to be in a fast-paced entrepreneurial world. I joined a startup in Boston, uh, which was a great experience, Digital Lumens. Uh, worked with some really outstanding folks there. And from there, decided that I wanted to do this as my primary thing. Uh, needed to get a lot smarter about a lot of business things, having spent five years in the military rather than the business world. And so I went to the Tuck School of Business up at Dartmouth, which is a great experience. And it, while there, I was just laser focused on starting starting something. I, I I didn't know if it was going to happen, if it was going to be successful, but I knew I wanted to give it my effort and uh, my full effort. And 
And that's when things kind of all came together, right? I, I'm this practical operator, right? From my military experience, from my personal background, I'm a, I'm a practical doer, but I also love fixing systems and modernizing things. And, and so I'm really interested in problems that sit at that intersection. And I had had these personal experiences in the automotive space as a, as a consumer. I, I, had, I think we all have had these, right? You go to get your car fixed, and all of a sudden, what you thought was an oil change is now a $1,400 brake job. And you're very dubious that you actually needed this service, but you're busy and you're at work and you're, you're, you're inconvenienced because you don't even have your car because it's in the shop. And so you have to just trust from afar and it lacks transparency. And uh, sure enough, I, I spent all the money, got it all done and ended up having uh, all kinds of brake light issues and follow on problems in the coming days. And it was just, it was just a, this drawn out, super frustrating experience as a consumer. And I just looked at that and I said, how, I mean, everything about it was, it, it was frustrating and outdated. I mean, I couldn't even, I don't even think I had to be in person to pay with a credit card. You know, there was no, there was no paying. So I had to go to the place to do this. I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. Everything was being written down on paper receipts uh, and I had no insight into what was happening. So I was logistically inconvenienced. Payment was hard. Uh, lack of trust built through transparency. All these things told me, oh my goodness, this is an enormous part of the average American experience and it is so broken. Like I want to try to solve this. And you thought there has to be a better way. Exactly. There has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. I remember when I started my healthcare business, I saw how healthcare was delivered and I thought, this just doesn't make sense. There has to be a better way. So you got the bug. So you, your, your car broke down. You were spending too much time dealing with your car. What led you to think, hmm, this could actually be a business? Well, I mean, I really wanted, I really wanted to do something that was going to solve the underlying systems level problem here, not just not just quote unquote, try harder at the same game. I wanted to come at it with a different approach. And so the, the unique approach we brought to it was, okay, the, with the advent of technology and convenient services, if we can find a way to do services that are more convenient for the consumer and yet still practical operationally, we have a good solution here. And with that, guiding force of convenience and operational practicality, we landed on doing services at the workplace because the car is sitting there for eight, nine hours a day. Uh, you can work on multiple cars at the same time if you need to. And the consumer is completely, uh, it's, it's completely convenient for the consumer because they're hanging out inside working and doesn't really, you know, they don't need access to their car during that period. And so we said, let's do an on-site model at the workplace for consumers with a bunch of technology to build trust and transparency through photo updates and online booking and make all of this just a seamless and better experience. It seems like such a no-brainer. You drive to work, you park your car, your car gets fixed, you pay online, you finish work, you get in your car and you go home and everything looks good. I remember when we first met at that conference, you were focused on full service mobile repair, and you were actually designing or developing this large truck or trailer where you could bring your car into that and have a full service garage. How did that, how did that work out? 
Yeah. So it was, uh, I mean, it was really successful. We found, uh, we, I personally designed a, uh, a trailer in which you could drive up to a, uh, probably not including, but close to a suburban size vehicle inside this trailer. It was, I think it was a 26 foot long trailer. It had big siding doors, uh, side doors that folded open kind of clamshell style and then drop down enclosures. So you could have the car drive up over up into this trailer. There was a lift inside to actually lift the car up off the ground. So you could get underneath and do work on it. And you could walk completely around the vehicle while still inside in an enclosed space in a deployed environment. And so, you know, we designed this because we said, if you want to offer really high quality professional services and do big jobs that, that uh, have enough margin involved to make all this make sense. Like you need a real mobile workplace. You can't just be lying on your back in the ground in the snow. And, um, and so we, we developed these trailers and we, we deployed them all over New England. Uh, we were at major headquarters of companies like Fidelity and uh, really built a great you know, business model that worked. Granted, it was kind of niche at these large headquarter workplaces, um, but worked really, really well at all these big um, uh, these big businesses across New England. So then we fast forward to 2020 and what happens? Uh, COVID hits. <laughs> yeah, everybody stops going to work. And everyone stops going to work. So what do you do? What did you do? Yeah. I mean, it was a real, it was a real big picture decision moment where we, you, you have to make a decision. And one thing from my military background that they train in you all the time is just keep making decisions, right? It might be, it might be the wrong decision, but, um, but you are sunk if you do not keep making um, if you don't keep being decisive and moving forward. And so when, when COVID hit, there was, you know, there was an instinct to say, look, let's just maybe tweak the model. Let's ride this out. Let's try to, you know, find the, the best possible version of this until things go back to normal. But I looked at that and I said, I don't think we're returning to normal anytime soon. I said, I think that we actually have a real opportunity to take the underlying concept of what we built that was super convenient tech enabled on-site service and bring it to way more people and way more industries. Uh, now that that was a very far cry from where we were at that time, but I saw the I saw the through line between consumers demanding a modern digital experience to how they get serviced and what we had built, even if the delivery model was industry specific and workplace specific at the time. I love when you say keep making decisions. It's it's so interesting. And I'll digress for a second. But when I ask my kids to make a decision, I'll say, would you like to do this or that? And they'll say, I don't know. And I'll say, that's not one of the choices. You need to, let's make a decision. Exactly. So it's it's very hard to make those decisions, right? Because it's, do I keep on the same path where the momentum is going or do I pivot? Did you find, did you have investors at the time? I know you just took on some new capital. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that's a major factor in the, in the, in the decision to change because you build momentum towards the existing thing, right? I mean, you, your investors invested in the original decision. Maybe 
Maybe they like hardware and service startups. Maybe they're already invested in too many software startups. So they actually were purposely diversifying their portfolio to have a different type of startup. So you would think they'd be thrilled for a, for a pivot to a software and they actually go, nah, I'm not that interested in that. So there's all these dynamics that you have to manage, but it's it's kind of all window dressing at the end of the day, right? I mean, my responsibility as CEO was to make sure Zippity is a success, right? Is a success to the employees, to the investors, to our to our customers, and where, from where I stood, we we did we were we had we had a path ahead of us which had too many obstacles and too many systems level problems ahead of it. And I said there is a much better solution out there that can bring bigger returns to our current investors, can deliver more value to more professionals, pros, service pros out there in the world, and uh, and that our employees can get behind and really deliver and execute on very effectively. So that was that was what that was what drove me to push so aggressively, not just to maybe expand our automotive service from workplace to home, but say, let's stop doing service entirely and just be the software platform for these other businesses. So you have these trucks yep. going all around New England. Now you're saying, I don't need trucks. I'm going to be a software platform. So help me understand yep. what does Zippity do now? Yeah. So, I mean, really, uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a tough moment of, do we pull the bandaid off instantaneously or do we try to have... A, a a switch over a you know a more graceful change over a period of time. We ended up saying we're going to we're going to move aggressively here, but we actually were well positioned to be able to keep the core New England business running, and we actually had a potential buyer uh, set up to continue operating it, especially in the New Hampshire market where we were originally from. And so we said, you know what, let's use let's. We're not ready to launch a software product tomorrow. We we actually tried. So the 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 pandemic hit. We we used some of our investors actually had connections to some potential customers who were in, in the dealership and automotive space who wanted to try out a mobile automotive solution. So we said, okay, let's just make a version of our product in two weeks that this this uh, business can use and start operating. And we did it. I mean, it was amazing. We had this, these tiger teams, super focused. It was one of the most you know, innovative moments of the company. But there's no way you're building a really high quality software product in a couple of weeks. So we, we needed time to build out a really, to get feedback from customers. And so we used that summer of 2020 and the rest of that year to shift our model from workplace to home services so that we could start getting our software working for more of the home dynamic rather than the workplace dynamic. So we tweaked our product and improved it over time. We lined up the buyer for the for the original service business. And then by the end of the year, we cut the cord. We had a product that was now tested both by our internal operation, by beta customers, and we sold off the service operation. And in January, 2021, we're ready to go purely as a software company. So you sold off the trucks, you sold off that business, Maybe that gave you a little cash flow. You're developing software as a platform, as a service. Um, is it just for automotive it, repair shops or is it broader than that? Yeah. So we started just with the automotive space because that's what we knew the most, that we knew the best. That's where the product had the most differentiation. Um, and that, is where, that has been our beachhead really to date. We are 
Uh, we are by far now the biggest player in software for mobile detailers, mobile mechanics, and mobile tire shops, uh, and have have now gotten. We're in, you know, we're not in every state in the country, but we have spread like wildfire across the country as in in this in this niche of mobile automotive. But ultimately, what we realized was this again. There's this through line of on-site service for consumers can be can be way better, but you need a unique type of platform to make that happen. And so we have identified really the broader home service space. We're being very selective about which verticals we're going to go into, but we've identified very similar verticals to the automotive segments. So think you know, if you do mobile detailing of a car, there's very similar businesses that do carpet cleaning and upholstery repair in the home service space. Very similar types of jobs that they're are getting booked online, how long they take, the photo updates, that that whole flow works really nicely for um for some some very related home service industries. And so um in the in very soon we will be formally launching into these additional home service segments and beyond automotive. Yeah, anyone who owns a home and has work, has had work done on their home to have a contractor or that's there for more than a day can be an absolute nightmare because it's still old fashioned. It's everything's by phone. Do you think that's an area that you're going to service as well? So, yeah. So we're mostly focused right now on shorter jobs for a whole bunch of reasons. Namely that what we've identified as the biggest opportunity is that there are, depending on how you count one to 2 million owner operator service businesses out there, uh, small operators who are doing, doing things like handyman jobs, uh, gutter cleaning, you know, like all these kind of quick transactional home service jobs. And they don't have a professional full-time dedicated back office staff to support them. And so it's really hard for them to deliver outstanding quick digital experiences to their consumers because they don't have someone to to take the phone call, to send the email, to manage all that. And so from a consumer standpoint, it's incredibly frustrating because all you want to do is just have the plumber, the locksmith, the carpet cleaner, just show up and get this thing done, right? And, and just like answer your phone or let me book online or something, right? And it's it's really hard. And it's not the fault of the pros. Like these are decent, super hardworking people. It's that nobody has made software that actually is designed for a small business that doesn't have a back office because it's way harder to develop software if you don't have a back office. Because now you need to be able to run your entire business from your phone. You need customers to be able to self-schedule on their own, really just to self-service on their own. That's a higher bar and a higher degree of difficulty than building software for a professional back office staff to manage and learn and get proficient at. And we realized, ah, this is the holy grail. We can help this huge low end of the market, which dominates the market and has the most acute pain point, but has the highest bar for high quality software. And we believe we, we by doing it, by being operators ourselves, we actually know how to pull that off. I mean, once you articulate what the pain points are or what the needs are of these small businesses, it just seems so obvious that there's a solution and you spotted it and you went after it. That's impressive, right? Well, you know, I appreciate it. I mean, I think one thing I've learned personally 
is, and it goes back to maybe the decision-making comment, that it matters more to have a consistent vision and consistent execution than it does to be right, right? Like there's a million ways you can make money. There's a million software companies you can build. But at the end of the day, the only ones that survive are the ones that deliver really high quality value to somebody consistently. And the only way you do that is if you stay true to the vision and execute on it day in, day out. And sure, some people will say, ah, you know, those, those owner operators, they're too small. It's not worth, worth our time to try to sell to them, right? And there'll be all these reasons why you shouldn't do it. But to your point, when you step back and look at it from a 30,000 foot view, you go, wait a minute, this is an enormous market with a very specific and acute problem and it's unsolved. Some, somebody needs to solve and that. Here you are. It might as well be you, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, not only might as well be us, we've, we've been that, that small business, right? We've done the service, right? I personally managed the W2 technicians, right? I know, like we know what these experiences are like and we know what it looks like to actually deliver service in the field. So as we start to wrap this up, Ed, this has been so interesting. If there was one person or one event that sort of maybe not helped you get started, but helped you keep going, starting a business is really hard. And there are times when you're not sure if you're, you've made the right decision or this is the right thing for you. Is there anything you can remember or think about that was like, this is really going to keep pushing me forward? You know, I had, I'll give you two answers on that. I had the initial one in the very, very, very early days when it was this question of, do I, do I take this funding from investors? Do I go all in in this moment? And I, you know, I was not sure I was going to be able to pull this off. It was a high stress moment. And in that moment, at the very beginning, I said, I had been sitting in a bunker in Wyoming working on nuclear weapons, right? I, I know I, I've, I've lived a certain kind of life. I really want to pursue this entrepreneurial life. And having had those life experiences that were different gave me the conviction that it was worth going all in in this moment for something that I was very passionate about. But I needed to have had those other life experiences to say, I'm okay failing with the potential for failure because I know this is what I, I want to do, I need to do personally. And it allowed me to put you know, all my cards on the table, go all in. And, um, and that helped me make the initial decision to, you know, to, to take the leap as an entrepreneur. I think that's pretty common amongst entrepreneurs is sort of a lack of fear of failing. It's okay. That's Success right. can be had by anyone. You know, you look around, you see successful people, and, and, and a lot of people think, oh, that could never be me. But it absolutely, you have just as much permission to succeed as anyone else, right? You just have to give yourself permission to take the risk of failure. Exactly. So, Ed, I want to really thank you for, for being on the podcast and sharing your story with us. It's been really interesting, and I'm so glad that the pivot has worked out for you. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks again for listening to Interesting People for 20. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please go to ipfor20.com to listen to more. Or you can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Keep doing great things. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Interesting People for 20. 